so welcome back um, to our to our teaching. Um, I have a couple of verses to read for you, and then Pastor Ellis will come for um, the teaching. So I'll be reading from Galatians 5 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can just listen in. Verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hi, my name's Barbara. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Amen. Nothing makes this sound man look badly uh, more than the pastor, Uh, but uh, happy Easter. He's risen. He's risen indeed, and it's, there's, there's a lot of reasons for us to celebrate, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. But uh, I I titled today's teaching, uh, What Does No Mean? Because I was debating on how many people in the room I would know and how many people I wouldn't coming into Easter. Because we just happen to live in a part of Baltimore where people go and come a lot on major holidays. I've lived in the city long enough to know that you live in the city long when you get out of the city often. All right. Some of you are like, I, I think I followed that. But uh, so many times with the, with the residents and the medical and the personnel, anytime... It was a big event. So on a Sunday like this, I was trying to think, wow, there's a lot of ways that we can play on the word no. And so before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about where we're going. I want to invite you back. Uh, the next six Sundays is leading up to what we call Pentecost Sunday. And I believe we do have a slide for that if we want to throw that up, Josie. But on June the, the 5th, it's the first Sunday in June. There are five other churches across the city that are going to join us in the courtyard for Pentecost Sunday. I'm super excited about that because it's the celebration of the birthday of the church. And so I want you to know that you're welcome to come back on that day. We're going to have a gorgeous outdoor service because the Lord is going to keep us free from rain. But if for some reason the weather is bad, we'll be on the fourth floor of this building, which is much larger than this floor. But super excited about seeing the church coming together and, and looking forward to that opportunity. But I also wanted to say that we're getting ready to start a series that is um, basically called Raised to Walk in New Life. That's a language that comes out of the baptism. And that's you see our baptism tank up here. I've been talking 
few of you about what baptism could look like and what it means in your life. And so we're really going to dedicate an entire series to say, if the gospel message that we've been listening to over these last several weeks that climax with us on Easter Sunday, if it's true, what did the early believers actually do with what they were taught? And they actually acted like they were made alive to live a different way. And so each week we're going to talk about what was the made aliveness looking like? How did they change their behavior? What did they look like as a community? How did they not only live in their own flesh, but also join together as one body with other believers? And so that's where we're headed over these next couple of weeks. And I would love for you to be a part of that time with us, even from Texas, if you have to watch on YouTube. And um, I don't know who's going to be watching online today, but if you're there, I hope that you're able to be fully present with us as well. I also need to lay a foundation for us because there are so many things that I think I'm going to assume that is in our mind that's going to be a foundation for the teaching. And I just want to go ahead and call some of them out because we don't have time to teach on them fully. But I do think it's important for us, whether you hear this for the first time or you've heard it multiple times, that you understand that I'm building this this talk today on a couple of foundational things. And the first foundational thing I want you guys to understand is that the light of the world came and the darkness couldn't overcome it. So this is what I want you to know coming into Easter Sunday, is that the light, capital L, came into the world and darkness did not overtake it. I also think it's important for this to be a foundation. Sin is not simply bad behavior. Sin was a powerful force that we were under. That's the difference in thinking many times. It's not just that you took a cookie from the cookie jar when you were told not to. Bad little Ellis, right? But it's the actual force of evil that's in the world. And that is so much more the backstory of Good Friday to Easter Sunday that Jesus dealt with that we're trying to wrap our minds around. But there is a force. Jesus indwells the church. That's where he's supposed to be present in the world. Like us right now and other 2,000 churches in Baltimore this morning are trying to be the bodily presence of Jesus Christ in the community. But I think it's also really important to say is that Jesus is above the church. Just because the church acts one way doesn't mean that Jesus looks bad. I just want you to know that. So many times we get the acting of Jesus wrong and Jesus looks bad, but Jesus isn't bad. Jesus looks really good. He is light. He's pure. He's just. He's noble. And even though the church is supposed to be the manifestation presence of God in this world, we get it wrong. And therefore, many people don't know what Jesus really looks like. And we need to understand that because Jesus is king over all the earth and he's the head of the church. And that is not going to change. Um, another aspect I think is really important is the church is the steward of the gospel. Like we're supposed to be the announcers of good news. That's what we were doing. Andre did that. Summer and the ladies with Eric did that. That's the new worship team name, the ladies with Eric, right? And so um, with, <laughs> that's the most laughter we've had in church in a long time. Um, but the but but even though the church is supposed to be the steward of the gospel, I want you to understand Jesus still maintains ownership of it. He owns it. We're stewarding it. How are we doing? 
All right. And so here the church bears witness to God's coming salvation of the world from sin. But simultaneously, we as a church are still being confronted with our sin. All right. I want you to understand that is that Jesus has dealt with it and the church is still dealing with it. That's a foundation important. So here here's the summary and it's on a slide for you. We are but frail mud pots. That's the Genesis creation story. Carrying the treasure of Christ's presence inside our breaking bodies. Like, listen, there's so many of us in the room right now. There are physical things that are going on in us that people don't know about. Some things people do know about, but our, our, our body is not frail. I mean, just the fact that there's crutches on the floor in the room right now. Like, like there's, we, we, we are experiencing the weaknesses in our bodies, right? But yet, God wants to do something special in our life. Can, can, that's, I think that's important for us to understand. So whether you're the, it's your first time here or you've been here multiple times, as frail as our body is, God wants to do something special in it. That's the foundational part. So every Easter, people ask me and pastors like me and pastors try to come up with great answers for a couple of questions. And I put them on slides for you. How then can I know that I'm saved? Or is there any security in my salvation? There are so many denominations that answer these questions differently. There are denominations that have split over these questions where some denominations believe in eternal security. Other denominations don't believe in eternal security. And so today when I was thinking about like, wow, whether we're believers in here with so many different theological backgrounds or you're a guest and you don't really know a whole lot about Jesus, I think it's really important that we can know you can know. K-N-O-W. I want you to understand. There can be a confidence in our knowing that I think is really important. Uh, Joshua Butler is a, a minister out west, and uh, I believe in the Portland area. And I was reading one of his books recently, and he used an illustration that I really liked about the word no. And so I'm going to try my best to tell the story the best way that I can. But in, in, in his writing about knowing Jesus, he said, sometimes the conflict that we're feeling is about how we define no. And I've been around Maryland long enough to know some of you are here because you're scientists and others of you are here because you're artists and others of you are here because you were just born here and there's no other options in your life. But we all think about knowing something differently. And so he put in here two characters, a scientist, which we have one in the room that I know of for sure. And we also had a five-year-old that he had in this story. And he asked them a question. He says, imagine um, that you are going to ride a bike. I want you to explain to me, or I want you to tell me or answer the question, do you know how to ride a bike? And so the scientist spoke up first. He says, of course. And, I, and he goes on to explain um, the, the gyroscope science of a bike technology. And some of you are like, oh, wow, that's really good. Other of you are like, what? Did Ellis pronounce that correctly? Um, and others, uh, the other scientists also went on to explain the location of a steering axis. And some of you are like, yeah, like you get that. Like a bike is designed with a steering axis. And then he went, goes on, the scientist goes on to talk about caster effects. Do any of you here know what a caster effect is? If you please raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that. Jason, do you know what a caster effect is? You don't. And you have a, you have a doctor in front of your name. So I'll, I'll take that back, right? All right. So um, 
And so the question then asked to the scientist was, well, after you said all that, he says, have you ever ridden a bike? And he scoffed like, no. But then the, then Joshua asked the five-year-old, um, have you, do you know how to ride a bike? And he says, yes, I do. And grabbed the bike, jumped on it, started riding it around. And then he went, look, no hands. <laughs> right. And so let me ask you, who knows how to ride a bike? Right. There's a difference between knowing how to ride a bike and knowing how to ride a bike. Okay. And if you and I this morning can understand the scientist and understand the five-year-old, I think we can then answer the question, how then can I know I'm saved? Because so many times when we ask that question, the problem is, is that we often have the knowledge of a scientist and not the excitement and the enthusiasm of a five-year-old because the scientist is going to describe everything and the five-year-old is just going to experience it with you. They might not even answer. I know how to write a bike. They'll look at you like, you ever talk to a five-year-old? <laughs> I mean, they'll like look at you like, yeah, I know how to ride a bike. I took my training. It was off three months ago, right? And so, but others of us find ourselves in church where we would rather answer like a scientist. So we'll say, well, I know these 10 Bible verses. And actually, I learned them in order. It's called the Romans Road, right? And you just go right through the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 3 to chapter 9 to chapter 10 to chapter 14. And you're just like, I I know, I know. And then there's others of us that will say, yeah, well, I, I know a prayer. I know a prayer. I prayed a prayer. And the others point to the church membership. Yeah, I've been a member of the church for 50 years or five months or whatever it is. But we point to our membership or a covenant that we've made with God in a paper form as the foundation for all of this. But I want you to understand, I'm convinced that even the theologians that write the books that I read so that I can try to be effective in telling you about Jesus. I think that there's some of them that don't know Jesus. There are pastors like myself that talk on Easter Sunday that don't know Jesus. They have a scientific understanding of how the Bible is put together, what's in the 66 different books that make up the library of the Bible. And they know a lot of the things that Jesus taught or the things that Jesus said or the things that Jesus did. And in the process of all of that, they really don't know how to ride the bike. Because the time with Jesus is relational. It's personal. It, it, it has incredible amount of, of, of intimacy in it. And it's an experience. It's something that you're supposed to be in with your life and not just academically looking at. So Jesus invites his followers into a confident humility. I just, I want you to understand it's not this arrogant, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a humility that says, I'm thankful that I've been invited into God's heaven. I'm thankful that I've been invited into his kingdom, which Jesus refers to the time in his kingdom as a present forward experience, not a time in the sweet by and by in some distant future. He was saying, I'm inviting you to life now. 
And I want you to live that life now, even before your human death, because you know that the hope is that there's going to be resurrection. And by the way, I'm going to prove that I know all about life and death because on Easter Sunday morning, I'm going to resurrect and conquer death so that you know what your future looks like. Okay. And so we follow a savior that knows exactly what he's talking about. And we don't just know the facts of the resurrection. We just, we don't know the seven statements Jesus said on Good Friday. We follow Jesus with our lives. So our confidence is in who God is. God is a God who loves us and we're confident in that because we've been on the bike. God has a posture that, that he wants to embrace us. There's nothing that warms my heart more than to hear Cody and Ryan say, Pastor Ellis, and their little voices, and come running to me on a Sunday morning. When they're not here, I don't feel as alive as I do on the Sundays that they are here. Because there's just something about being known. There's something about the intimacy of that relationship. And those are the people that I think that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about there's people that know me and there's people that know me. And so the confidence is found. There's a difference. All right. There's a difference between knowing Jesus and really knowing Jesus and, and him knowing that we know him. Like he's going to like there's there were times in some of the religious leaders that he actually acted like. So you're talking about me, but yet you don't know who's standing in front of you. Okay, so there's a posture of that even in the Gospels and we don't have a chance to look at all of those. But that's why the next series is coming and I want to invite you to it. But what does a follower of Jesus look like? So if 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 we're supposed to have a confidence because we know and it's a relationship. What does it look like? And that, what I believe it looks like in that confident humility is that the confidence is rooted in God Himself, not in what we know. The confidence is rooted in the fact that, that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. God loves us. And it has nothing to do with the way the church acts in the world, it has nothing to way to do with the way that you were brought up, no matter what denomination or what your, your faith background is from. It has everything to do with the reality that God loves us. Not because, and I also want you to understand, yes, God loves Ellis as an individual. God loves me. But there's been too many Christian traditions that focus so much on God loving me. I've grown proud in that. And therefore, I don't want God to love you as much as he loves me. And so we've got to get to the point where we realize that God loves we. And that there's that love of God that is permeating through all people, no matter what their skin tone, what their gender, whatever is in their world, God loves them and God cares for them. And that's where our humility is rooted in, because our humility is rooted in the fact that just as good as Ellis can be, there's a bad Ellis. I can be the victimizer and I can also be a victim. We talked about that on Good Friday. I don't have time to develop that more. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, if you look at the white cards that are on the cross this morning, left over from Good Friday, people on one side wrote how they have felt abused. And people on the other side of the card wrote how they've been an abuser. How I've been wounded and how I know I've caused wounds. And there is not a person on this planet that has not been both. Too many times though, we always compare ourselves to the worst of all people in the world and we don't realize that to some people you are the worst of all persons in the world. And so Jesus on the cross dealt with the good and the bad. In the garden, that there were two trees, a tree of life and a tree with good and evil on it. 
They weren't two separate trees. There was one tree that had good and evil on it. And that represents who you and I have become. We do both great things and we do both awful things. Just talk to the person you live with. So how do we know if we're experiencing the real thing? How do we know? I believe Jesus answered it in the verses that were read to us at the beginning. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and Luke 6, 43 through 45. He says, a tree is known by its fruit and the fruit of the spirit is love. So you want to have confidence that you know you're saved. Jesus says, inspect your fruit. So here, let me, let me give this. I, I had the blessing of living in a home that has a roof deck on it. I just want you to know that Baltimore smells a lot better from the rooftop of a home than it does from the sidewalk or the alleys. I just want to tell you, it's beautiful. And I'm, and I'm blessed. It's one of the 10,000 reasons I have to praise the Lord. Is, but if you were invited to my house and I told you that I have a beautiful peach tree on my rooftop... And I invited you to come, and several weeks later, you accepted the invitation, and you climbed my little spiral staircase, and you got to my rooftop, and you were greeted with an apple. What would you say to me? I thought you said you had a peach tree, right? When you invite a friend over, and they get close to you in your life, and you invited them over because you say that you go to church or that you have a relationship with Jesus— and they come over and they hear anger and rage and bitterness and strife and envy and jealousy coming out of your mouth, do you think they might say, but I thought you knew Jesus? Because I was expecting fruits like love and patience and kindness and gentleness and tenderness and forgiveness to come off your lips, but yet I hear jealousy and anger and you you hate your enemies. You want people dead? Like there's so much about the way that which Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, let me just compare what people know me as, as a tree that bears fruit. Now, let me just say this. It takes fruit trees a long time to bear their fruit, right? You don't always go up to a tree and be like, oh, wow, look, I need I took the last peach off the tree and the tree like it knows and it's on another peach appears. Now, that would be fantastic. I have a feeling that's what the tree of life is going to be like in Revelation, but we'll talk about that another day. But John 13, 35 says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It didn't say your theology or your right thinking about the Bible or your right thinking about me is going to prove to the world He says, what's going to prove to the world that you're my disciples is if there's love on your fruit tree. In John chapter, first John chapter four, verses 16 and 17, I want you to remember this John that wrote this letter was most likely the one reclining against Jesus's chest on the Lord's Supper night before he was arrested. This was the John that he says, Hey, this is my mom, Mary, John, John, Mary, this is your son. I'm getting ready to die. John's going to take care of you on this earth. This is that John. That knew Jesus that intimate. This is the John, which was the only disciple to actually witness the crucifixion and to be a part of it. And the rest of them had gone running. But this is the John that knew Jesus so much so that he probably cried all day Saturday and woke up crying Sunday morning until Mary came in frantic saying the tomb is empty. And then he outran Peter and he bragged about it. All right. This is that John. John. 
okay? A very emotional John. Now listen to what he says. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. We haven't put our trust in the knowledge of his love. We have put our trust in his love. God is love. All who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. If you want to have no doubt about what the end is going to be like for you, join in with Jesus. Now. Now. Like it's time for us to just let the fruit of Jesus grow on our tree and the things that, and because fruit is slow growing, we need to be patient with one another. So here's the thing. Maybe this section is new and this section is old. This section needs patient for this tree because these trees don't have the opportunity to bear fruit yet because they haven't been around as long. So if you're impatient because they're not quickly growing in love, then they feel your anger. Then we have a new denomination that starts. Because they don't, they're not neglecting Jesus, they're neglecting you. They're not rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting you. And that's what's been happening in church history now for nearly 2,000, well, 1,700 years. For 300 years, the church loved each other very well. But now there's so many divisions amongst us. Because we haven't been concerned about the fruit on our tree, we've been more concerned like a scientist of knowing the facts rather than living in the facts. And so God accepts us in Jesus Christ. Our obstacle is found in our rejection of God's acceptance. And so today I just want to say, let's stop rejecting. Let's just fully get in. And I'm not talking about those of you that have never accepted Jesus. I'm talking about those of us that maybe have been going to church for a long time and accepted Jesus. Let's stop knowing about him and let's fully accept that we need to be in his love and we need to be in his love now. Because this is why the sign of faith is our repentance. It's not us praying a prayer to go to heaven. It's our repentance. Saying that the fruit on my tree is not Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, and all of those things. The things that's really in me is the sinful side of the world. In, in Mark chapter 1, Mark starts out his gospel by saying to the people reading his letter, it's all about just repenting and believing. Believing God loves you and repenting that you're nothing like him. Even on our best day, our hope is built solely on Jesus. So the good news is that Jesus wants a union with us. So one of the analogies in scripture besides a tree is that Jesus is a groom and and we are his bride. Can I just tell you this? Is it not exciting to you that Jesus loves you so much? He wants to marry you. Now, some of you, some of you in here that, that are male, you may not necessarily appreciate that analogy that much, but there is no greater offer to another human being to other than saying, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? So much of the gospel narrative is framed around the fact that the father has an elaborate feast ready because the son is offered the world a marriage and he can't wait to throw a feast for it. And the groom is promised, is expressed in how Jesus laid his life out on the cross for us. 
And there's another analogy. Some of you might be, I'm not into the marriage thing. Well, here's a, here, maybe give me, let me offer you another analogy. Jesus is king. And the king of the kingdom has offered you amnesty. There is nothing being held against you. You get the full rights and privileges of the kingdom and you'd have to do nothing but step into the kingdom. That's who Jesus is. Another of it is a great physician. Some of you are doctors and nurses in here and you work in the medical field. I'll just tell you, if, if great physicians resonate with you, there is nothing that Jesus can't heal. There is nothing. So he's saying to you, come to me and I will give you all the healing that you need. The only problem is most of us only think we need healed from cancer or other diseases that attack the body where others of us are sick with anger and jealousy and envy and hurt and wounds of all different types. And the healer says, I got that covered too. But back to the tree in the garden. Because the vine is saying, just join to my branches. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm a healthy vine. You can be transplanted into my branch and you're going to be perfectly fine. You just can't know that I'm the vine. You've got to know the vine. It means you've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to be able to just get in there and be like, whoa, I feel the life of Christ in me. I don't just need to know the life of Christ. You feel the life of Christ in you. So how can we... How can I know if I'm saved? The question really should be, and I think a better question is, is are you connected to the vine? Because if you're connected to the vine, there's never a doubt. Because there's a humbleness to the knowledge of it that keeps you humble, so that keeps you patient, it keeps you kind, and it keeps you moving forward in endurance towards what's there. So is there any fruit in your life? If you desire the fruit of God's spirit in your life, the invitation, which was 2,000 years ago, which is equal to today, is just repent and believe. That's it. And if you've done that, then just start living in Christ and you'll never have a doubt. You'll never have any frustration. And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up. They're going to come back up and sing the uh, song of blessing, the 10,000 reasons song for us one more time. And in the midst of that... I want to share with you what this invitation really looks like. Some of you have been a part of the gallery before and experienced our Good Fridays and you've experienced our um, Easter Sundays. And we had a family that made us this cross a long time ago. But the cross on Good Friday is what Jesus proved his love and invitation on. But on Easter Sunday, it's where we say, I want to be transplanted in. I want to be a part of his tree. I want to know him with the confidence of a five-year-old on a bike. And so what we've done is, is we've prepared a table where there are little flowers that you can pick from. And all you need to say is, is you know, for me today, my reminder this Easter is that Jesus did pay it all and I'm in the vine. Some of you just need a physical act to remember something that you've known for a very long time. Others of you are going to want to come for the first time and say, I want to know for sure that I follow Jesus. And there's no, this will be etched in your mind for a long time. But the desire is, is that we grow in our love for one another. And so whether it's your first time or you've done this 10,000 times, the reminder is, is that I am meant to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in my life. That's why he rose from the grave. 
He wants to make us fruit-producing people. And so I would just encourage you, don't hesitate. The song only lasts three or four minutes. And I would love for as many of you that feel comfortable. And on your way back, I'd love for you that you feel comfortable to grab Lord's table supplies from the baskets on the other tables. Because as soon as that's over, we're going to take the Lord's table together. Father, it is my desire that we bear fruit. Father, I want us to have that joyous smile on our face because we know you. And Lord, I thank you that you've made it clear of how we can get our confidence. And so, Father, would you help us to be patient with one another, persevering and enduring so that we can all bear the fruit of love and hope and peace and faith and endurance and gentleness and compassion in this world. And so, Father, right now, we acknowledge that we have been wounded and we have also been a wounder. We need your forgiveness. And Lord, would you allow us to just walk in the power of your spirit to be like Christ in this world? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you, guys. You guys can just remain standing with me for a minute. I don't know if you guys need to get your Lord's table supplies or you can have a seat. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. As we get ready to take the Lord's table, I also want to use this as a time just to let you know that I do believe that some of you are ready for the public baptism. If that is you, if you would just let us know, we want to talk with you and and walk you through what that really looks like in order for us to really be immersed in Jesus Christ and what the public aspect of it means. And so we're hoping to be putting water in this on a Sunday in May and, and letting you share that testimony through public expression. If that's you, would you let the person know that invited you or let me know? We'd be happy to do that with you. But uh, even though this is a small plastic cup and it seems very insignificant, um, this was the one thing that Jesus insisted on doing with his disciples before he went to the cross. I just want you guys to understand. He made sure that everything about the night before he was arrested, everything about the room was in secret. Every gospel account talks about the secrecy of how Jesus had the room prepared and he went to it with his disciples and followed other unknown disciples to it because he didn't want anything to interrupt this meal because he told them, I want you to do it again and again and again and again and again. And so now 2000 years later, we're doing it again. Because this speaks to everything about Easter, the joy of the invitation of the cross, the joy in the resurrection, the new life and the fruit bearing aspects of our life are all summarized in this little plastic cup. All right. So let's take the bread from the bottom if you're participating with us. And I apologize. It will taste bad, but it is gluten free. All right. And it's not bad because it's gluten free. All right. I'm just calling that out. I've had some decent gluten free stuff. All right. But if we could just hold this up, and I think Josie has the words that we'll be saying out loud together for the screen for us, for those that are new to the gallery church, but it's just simple. Um, this is his body that was broken for you. Would you repeat that out loud with me? This is his body that's broken for you. And let's do this in remembrance of him. And then carefully as we remove the cup, the lid to the cup. When Jesus raised it for the first time, he prayed over it. So, Father, I thank you so much for the fruit from the vine that represents your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the way that you've blessed us through your creation. And so right now, guys, I'd love for us to take this cup and just hold it up to one another and just remind each other that this is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Yes, and then we get to declare, we take the church tradition of declaring the mystery of Christ out loud together. So we've had Baptist experiences, now we had some Pentecostal experiences, and now we have some Anglican experiences right now. So here we go, together, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So here's our benediction. As we go from here today, may you never wonder, because you know. And may you just... Daily connect to Jesus and inspect the fruit. And may other people agree with you that your fruit is good. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much for spending your Easter with us because he's risen. Thank you guys.